This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. to vital signs. Last week I uh, spoke briefly, no I didn't speak briefly, I spoke in an extended and passionate manner uh, about uh, knowing Jesus as the most important vital sign. We talked about how uh, we need to take our spiritual pulse, we need to strap ourselves up and find out how we're doing as a church. And so what we want to do is to say how healthy are we, how well are we doing and we talked about, I talked about last week about the most important vital sign is to take your spiritual pulse and see if you know Jesus. And that's not just a, a, a small thing. The, 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 the nine people at the bottom of that cap slide went from not knowing Jesus, from not having a spiritual pulse, to being alive in Christ. And that is the most important vital sign. But I just want to sort of race you through that. If you weren't around, I'm going to give you a little kind of catch up, and then we're going to push on through, because as you, know, as you remember, I had to... Uh, crash land that at the end. Okay, so it's interesting. How can we know God? How can we know God? The answer is you can't really know God simply just by searching. Uh, Job uh, says that. You can't know God just simply by searching. You can't just decide to set yourself to find God. So you think, well, 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 what's the point then? How can we possibly know God? But actually, the, re- the thing is that God, as, as we said briefly last week, God has taken the initiative to come and find us. It's not that we've sat down and thought, how do we find God? We've not philosophized or pr- journeyed or pilgrimed or done other things, and suddenly we found God there, the God of our own creation. No, God, the God who created us, has come and made himself known to us. He's the one who's given life to us. And so, and Paul puts this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. I love this kind of creation sense of, for God said, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's almost like in the same way that God said, let there be light and spoke creation into being, he does that to you. If you're a Christian this morning, God has done that to you. He has spoken over you, let there be light. And suddenly, light comes and you think, I know him. I can see him, I can understand him. And you do what I talked about last week, that everything that Paul says, everything was profit in my life, and I'll consider rubbish because I've seen him. That's how you become a Christian. That's the, the creative way that God does it. It's his irresistible grace comes to you and shines his light on you. But we said last week that actually have, once God has taken the initiative, we have got responsibility. We've got the responsibility to respond. We can't remain passive, unmoved, unaffected by his love, distant to his affections. And we talked about how Paul uh, sees himself as this kind of runner in the race. Let me just recap. I want to know Christ, says Paul. 
It's his aim. It's his life game. I believe that's Paul's life aim. He wants to preach the gospel everywhere. He wants to do this. But his ultimate life aim, this ultimate vital sign, I want to know Christ. Not that I've all fully obtained all this, already achieved my goal, but I press on to take hold of which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining ahead, pressing towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heaven. And we talk about this single-minded, kind of athletic, running after Jesus. This is what I want. This is the prize of my life. It's him I want. And we talked about most, if you're a Christian, you probably feel yes to that. No, you definitely feel yes to that. I did say that the only time you might not feel yes to it is if you think, I don't really like his preaching. Somebody came up to me very nicely afterwards and said, don't be, don't be negative about your preaching. You're quite a good preacher. I was just actually not trying to make a comment about my preaching. I was trying to say, I'll give you a little bit of wiggle room if you're not feeling, I want to know Jesus right now. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe God hasn't shone his light into your heart. But you should say, I want to know Jesus. But we said then... Dallas will have said this. I'm just recapping and we're going to push forward. The abundance of God in our lives, our families and our churches is not passively received or imposed from above. It does not happen by chance. It's claimed and put into action by our active, intelligent pursuit of knowing Jesus. But James says that actually we're double-minded. He says, come near to God and and he'll come near to you. But actually we're double-minded. He said, stop being double-minded. So we say on Sundays and in group, I want to know Jesus But our life is full of everything but. And I finished with this quote last week. Knowing Jesus is the vital sign. It's the the thing that's so important. But actually it's got to be at the core of life as usual. Dallas Willard, who writes loads about, uh, about kind of pressing on to know Jesus and becoming more like him, he said this. Has your life as usual be marked by the habits and patterns that God can use to bring you closer to him. Then he punches it out. If not, then life, as usual, must go. So I want to talk about how you change life as usual. I want to bring you some of the practical side of it. How can we know, to know God better, we must go, I don't know if there's a slide there, we must go into training. We've got to go into training. Let me just say something about training. Training is not the same as rules. So for example, my wife has trained and is able to run a marathon. She knows the rules of a marathon, which is you start and you run for 26 and... 26.2 miles, okay? I know the rules of a marathon. Can I run a marathon? No, I can hardly run across the field with my dog. <laughs> I need some training. So it's not about rules. So just think, when we talk about prayer, which is what I'm going to talk about this morning, it's not about rules. It's not about you must pray. We all know that rule. Most of us, we did a little survey in our group this week, most of us know or feel we're not doing well enough in prayer. We kind of know what the rule is, but we don't. But it's not about rules. It's about something else. It's about this single-minded pursuit of the goal. So I'm going to pick up Paul again, same metaphor, but he pushes it home again. I love this. Don't you realize? We read that as if he's not, you know, he's saying, hello. Don't you realize? Because they probably didn't. 
that in a race everyone runs, but not only one gets the prize. Yeah, they got that. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that's going to fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. We run with purpose in every step. He said, I'm not like a boxer punching the air. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that having saying one thing to others, I might disqualify, be disqualified by doing another thing myself. He's almost like as a preacher. I preached about knowing Jesus, but I don't want to make sure that I don't not know him. I love the metaphor of training. I'm rubbish at training. <laughs> You know, and some of you are good at training. I know that there's, there's people here who love training, you're good at training. I'm rubbish at training. But let's just feel the pressure of, of these people. Does anyone know who they are? Yes, very good. It is actually Athens. Uh, this is a coxless four. And at the front, hands raised, is Matthew Pinson. At the back, is James Cracknell. Uh, uh, in the middle is one we've forgotten. And the guy who's leaning back is... Steve Redgrave, I get myself in every picture, Redgrave. And this is what Matthew Pinsent writes in his autobiography. Four-time Olympic gold medal winning oarsman says, for every stroke of the gold medal winning final, he's done it four times, he rose 15K. Now the bit of Thames he goes on is 2K. So he goes back and forth eight, about eight times almost every day. It's, that's the equivalent, if you work out, there the, are the about, I don't know how many strokes around the Olympic final, I did the maths and worked it out, but that's about the equivalent of rowing, for each Olympic final, it's the equivalent of rowing across the Atlantic, 3,500 kilometers on the water, up early at 5 a.m. in all weathers to prepare for a six-minute Olympic final. That much training, that much performance for a small medal. Andre Agassi, Matt Hatch at our weekend away talked about him. Andre Agassi was, uh, is, at six years old, his father said that he needed to uh, hit tennis balls. He, he said, you have to hit 2,500 tennis balls a day, every year. By the age of 22, he's the Wimbledon champion. 16 million tennis balls later. Masses of training. Wimbledon final. Or if you're not into sport, what about this? Actually, uh, somebody wrote a book to say you need to uh, train for 10,000 hours to become proficient. Actually, guys from Harvard, because they're clever like that, w uh, looked at piano players, international concert pianists. Guess how many hours to be an international concert pianist you need to practice in your life? It's more than 10,000. Anybody want to have a guess? It's about three hours a day for most of your life. 25,000 hours of practice. For 20 years. Three hours a day for 20 years. The thing is, if you want to win an Olympic gold or Wimbledon, or you want to be an international concert pianist, you don't just get there by wanting to be. I'd love to be. I'd love to be good at stuff. You know? The problem is, I'm rubbish at training. But actually, these people, they undergo, it's not just by wanting, they have to undergo a serious, I think the quote might even be up there, undergo a serious program of training. Activities need to be seriously and consciously engaged in. I'm going to practice piano for three hours. 
That means other activities need to be seriously and consciously abstained from. I'm not going to spend my time on Facebook. Facebook, waste your life, three hours, achieve something. But we don't do it. But actually, I think that to do any significant endeavour in, in life requires hard work and training. And knowing and beginning to think and feel and act as Jesus would is at least as demanding as training to win the Olympic gold or running a marathon or learning to play the piano. To be, to train ourselves spiritually, to be like Jesus, it's not just comes from heaven, it's to be reached hold of, is at least as demanding. So I'm 55. I've been a Christian for probably 40 years. I don't think I've clocked up 25,000 hours of prayer. I don't know how I'm doing. But it's at least as demanding. At least as demanding. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, he put it like this, the passage we're reading. He says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finishing line. I'm giving it everything I've got. I love this phrase. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to be caught napping, telling everyone else about the life of Jesus, than missing out myself. There's not a hint of sloppy living about Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus was incredibly boring and, and you know, no fun to be around. They called him a, a glutton and a drunkard. He mixed with people who were, had nothing to do with, with anything religious, had nothing to do with faith. He was fun to be around, but there was no sloppiness about it. We often think that if I'm going to be a cool person and just hang out with people and hang loose and just, I'll go have a little drink at John Gordon's and I'm out there and I'm chilling out, that actually, I can't possibly be an organized, disciplined person. But Jesus did do all those things, but there was not a sloppy moment. So when people say, oh, I live in grace, yes, Jesus lived under the Father's delight, but he wasn't sloppy. Dallas Willard, again, we quote him, him, says, anyone who would know God their journey must inevitably pass through the core spiritual disciplines of Bible study, prayer, and worship. Now, let's get it clear that these things, Bible study, prayer, worship, I could give you a big, long list, but I don't want to overload you as you start your first day of training or your second day of training or you think, I'm going to train myself. We're just going to look at the basic ones. But whatever you do, they're not a barometer of holiness. So I, I meet with Roger Widdicombe just to blow his reward in heaven, and he said that he's been fasting regularly a day a week. And, and, and as he said it, he felt, oh, oh, should I be really saying? I'm almost like, because we're so, think, if we talk about I read my Bible, I'm praying lots, I'm fasting, I'm being quiet, I'm going away, having some time from, away from everything, I'm, I'm abstaining from these kind of things. It makes it look like, well, I'm saying I'm a really great person, I'm a really spiritual person, doesn't it? And actually, we've got it wrong. It's not about so we can feel smug at ourselves and not a barometer of our holiness. Or actually, interestingly, we think we can earn points with God. You don't need to put your hand up. But I know that if you've done, if you're doing Bible in a year, how well am I? Sorry. If you're doing Bible in a year and you've had a great week and you've read all, you've read Old Testament, New Testament, and Psalms, and you've read Nicky Gumble, and you've prayed the prayers, and you've done your own prayer, and you've done all that, and you've done that for a few days, you're thinking. Jesus must love me now. 
you really must love me now. Surely, Jesus, surely you love me now. And then what happens is you have a week where you're terrible, there's a mess, you're double-minded, you're all over the place. Jesus can't possibly love me now. That's not true. It's not as if Jesus' love is so pathetically conditional. It's our love that's so pathetically conditional. So the practices of spiritual training are valuable insofar as they keep our heartbeat, our lives vitally connected with Jesus. To be a person in spiritual training, I love this, this is, I think this is John Ortberg, I've certainly nicked a bit of the phrase, but uh, he says, it's, you don't have to be a highly organised, rigidly scheduled, rule-keeping, gold-star-loving early riser. Hands up if, you, if you're not highly organised, rigidly scheduled, rule-keeping, gold-star-loving early riser. I'm trying not to look at anyone. You are. You're gold star living... That's absolutely me, you know me. It is, Paul, I know. I know. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> now, my wife is a highly organised, rigidly scheduled, rule-keeping, gold star loving early riser. She's got an achievement pathway, and I love that. It's great living with someone with an achievement pathway and get things done. But as I'm sitting on my sofa, it's like, what are you doing with your life? You're not having another day watching sport, are you? Come on. So yesterday she says, come on, let's paint the wall in our room. I was like, what, it's four o'clock on Saturday, surely? No, we're there, boom, we've done it. We've painted a feature wall in our room. My wife's like that. But I'm not. But that does not give me a way out. What I am committed to, what you must be committed to, is the spiritual health of my capacity to fully love God and Jesus, and you can't do that without effort. So the thing is, it's not just uh, uh, the spiritual disciplines that count. Actually, all your life counts. Just to get that in perspective, as I'm going to drill down into prayer in a sec. John Ortberg in his book, great book, The Life You Always Wanted, easiest book on spiritual disciplines you're going to read. A lot of the others are like, what? I can't even understand what you're talking about. Never mind, do the spiritual disciplines. Sometimes Dallas Willard's like that. Really? What are you saying? He's a philosopher professor. But John Ortberg, he says this, God is interested in every aspect of our lives, not just our spiritual lives. So spiritual training isn't just, I'm here on Sunday morning or I'm praying in my room. It's all of your life. Bringing up children, sitting in traffic, cleaning the house can teach us about Jesus, can teach you about patience and gratitude and servanthood and humility and kindness and all those other things. But... The one-on-one spiritual disciplines are what they tell you when you become a Christian. When I became a Christian, a person said to me, they didn't do it very well, and then they gave me a piece of paper and said, and on it it said, I commit to read my Bible and pray every day. I thought, well, well what, about, you know, what about the power of God, what about forgiveness? But it was like, no. And I got off on a wrong start thinking, oh my word, it's all about the rules. But actually, that she was right, and actually, that is what you've got to do. If you have a baby and you say to them, well, it's lovely, we just celebrate them. We just celebrate the baby. Isn't it nice to have Jonah? We love him. Thea's so lovely. But we're not going to feed the beast. You're going to... Sorry. The child... <laughs> we'll edit that. <laughs> oh, it's just because mine have been absolute... No, no. We're not... If you didn't feed it, it'd be like, no! Nah! It is, isn't it? He is like that. Yes. We've got to feed. We've got to feed life. So let's just drill into prayer real quick. There's loads I could have said on this, but I'm just going to jump through into Jesus. 
Always a good place. Oh, no, let's one quote before we jump into prayer. Yeah, no, prayer. So I'm going to do prayer. Is there a quote there from John Ockburg? Yes, prayer. Prayer is a learned behavior. You've got to train yourself to get better at it. Nobody is born an expert. Nobody ever masters of it. So everybody feels I'm rubbish at it. And, and, and nobody feels they've sorted. But you've got to learn how to do it. Jesus says this. Training instructions from Jesus about prayer. Matthew 6. And when you pray. Not if. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray in God First Church on a Sunday morning. Serve. Oh, no, sorry. Well, you, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. He said, truly, you receive your reward in full. So there is that kind of prayer, and I encourage you to do that. But if you want to do it so everyone thinks you're spiritual, it's a waste of time. Don't stop, because we're trying to get you to pray more out. But anyway, but he says, I t- this is what you can do. But when, but when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who's unseen, who does what in secret, will reward you. So the first thing you've got to do, I think, is you've got to find a time. When you pray. There's a time called when you pray. We did a little survey in our group. There's people who have a time, and people have a time and a place, and there's people I call martini Christians, which are any time, any place, anywhere. And they can say, oh, pray without ceasing. And that is true. But actually, there needs to be also a when you pray. If you just say, I'll just pray everywhere, you tend not to, you just say, Lord, give me a parking space. You know, that's okay. But there's a deeper knowing of Jesus that we're looking for. You just set aside time and you know when it is. Now, actually, thankfully for me, Jesus doesn't say it's got to be in the morning, although I do do mine in the morning. Did, Jesus did get up in the morning before it was dark. And you tend to think, well, if I get up in the morning before it was dark. But I love John Ortberg's quote in this. It says, you might be the kind of people, person that even Jesus didn't want to talk to in the morning. <laughs> you think, I don't want to talk to anyone in the morning. Jesus, you're such a grumpy son, so Jesus doesn't want to talk to you in the morning. So you don't have to do it in the morning. But I know what happens is some of you say, well, I'm my best at, during the day. And you're at work during the day. So you, if that, if you're not free, you need to find a time when you're free. So if you can pray during the day in your lunch hour, that might work for you. But I'd say, how about loving your co-workers, I think they're called in the United States. <laughs> how about loving the people you work with? But, you know, got to find a space. If you, if you pray at night... That's fine. You don't need a morning or night. But what you do need is to find a time when you can pray. If you say, if you say there's a challenge for you, if you say you can't find a time to pray, what I want you to do is to, t- to take a piece of paper starting from 6 o'clock this evening until 6 o'clock on Monday evening, and I want you to write down what you do in every 15-minute slot. And then come back and say, I've got no time to pray. TV off, prayer on, isn't it? Okay, and, and, and don't try and go for this incredible... Sometimes I, I used to think that prayer's like holding your breath underwater. The longer you can go, the better you are. So it's like... And then I come... Oh, man, I'm amazing. Three minutes. <laughs> Whoa! No, 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 no. You're allowed to... You know, you can, don't start saying, I'm going to pray for three hours, I'm going to pray for an hour now. Just, just, just say, I'm five minutes. I, I bet you, if you say, if you don't pray regularly, some of our guys in our group didn't pray regularly, at five minutes you say, I'm just going to try five minutes. So you need a time, and you need a place. Whoa, genius. Jesus says, go into your room. It doesn't mean prayer outside is forbidden. 
In fact, Jesus prayed up and down in mountains. But the, basically, what you're looking for is a, into your room and close the door is a place without distraction. A place without distraction. So Roger and I, Whittakin, were talking, and he said the biggest challenge for him is that, that, that to, to just, I'll just check, what is it for you? Emails, as usually for church leader. I'll just check my email. He said, you know, if I click that send, a receive button, that's it, I'm gone. I won't get there. I thought, Roger, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have that problem at all. <laughs> if you, so actually, uh, Jesus went up the mountain, and we, we talked about this some, some time ago, and the, the disciples are coming looking for him and saying, Jesus, where are you? Your phone's not on. We tried to page you. We, people are looking for you everywhere. And, and, and it's like Peter's giving Jesus a hard time. And uh, you can think Jesus said, Peter, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get a place where nobody's going to bother me, where nothing's going to interrupt me. You need to find a place where you go and close the door. Third thing you need to do is what I've called, or I, I didn't coin the phrase, hear the silence. This is a little insight into my head now. I think once you sit down and think, I'm going to pray, sometimes immediately your mind just goes blank. Or you start thinking about a million other things. And it's almost you've got to press through those and, 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 and hear the silence. When I start to hear the silence, it's almost like when I say, right, I'm just going to take a minute or two in silence, suddenly it's like your ears get big. And you're reaching for, and you can hear the road noise. And you can hear the computer go, whatever, you know. The, you, you he, suddenly you're hearing everything. Because we're so used to a world full of noise that we've forgotten how to hear. So although it's okay to put on a CD and say, I'm going to worship because that's going to throw me into prayer, somewhere you just need a a moment where you just hear the silence. We know the story of Elisha, don't we? God's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fervent wind. He's in the still, small voice. The thing about you can start to hear the road noise and the birds singing, if you're in whatever, is your ears almost, I'm doing this with my ears, spiritually it's in a wall. And I think in that kind of attentive moment, you're starting to hear God. You can start to hear God. You can hear other voices in there. In fact, one writer says that when you start to uh, be quiet and listen to God, you, you hear it's like a monkey, uh, a tree full of monkeys jumping around in a ba- banana trees, and all you hear is. How's that? It was good, wasn't it? It's like, my thoughts, what am I doing now? What about this? What about this? What about this? What about... And what... I can't remember where I read it from. It says, you've got to put the monkeys outside. Get get out. But actually, if you're interesting, some of those little thoughts that the monkeys are screaming, if you hold them, you can use them for prayer later. You think these thoughts... What about my mother's health, or what about this, or what about my kids' schooling, or what about my debt, or, you know, you're thinking about all these other things, or you're thinking, what about God for, or you think all these things. Some of those things is, you can use for prayer later. Some of the other ones, Howard, you haven't read your Bible for five weeks, what are you trying to come here praying to Jesus as if he's bothered about you now? That one's got to, you've got to recognize that voice and kick it straight out the door. How does Jesus do that? He does it in the wilderness, says, says, are you hungry then, Jesus? What does Jesus do? Does anyone know what Jesus does when the devil comes and says, you're hungry? He says, 
quotes scripture, thank you, you get an extra point. And what does he say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of God's mouth. You gotta kick it out. Howard, you're a useless Christian. How dare you be a church leader? Poof. We all know it. Gavin likes to quote it. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean sloppy living's fine. What it means is, when it comes to it, we can press on through. You calm the monkeys. But actually, the thing about prayer is actually prayer can help you. Whew, prayer can help you um, avoid t- sloppy living. Jesus is in the garden, he goes to pray, he's praying, he's ex- all his emotions are out there. And he says to his disciples, anyone know what he says to his disciples? I love this, he says, watch and pray that, does anyone know? You don't fall into temptation. You're struggling with sin, I think prayer would be a very, very good thing to do. In fact, I remember counselling a guy who struggled with pornography and I said, put a sticker on your computer that said, when tempted, pray. So you go through these, hearing the silence, you're, you're hearing God, you're sorting out your thoughts, you're kicking out the enemy's thoughts, whatever, and you're meditating on something. I think sometimes it's not, prayer's not worrying, it's not worrying aloud, it's not saying, oh, these are all my things. You meditate on Jesus, you meditate on the Word of God, this is what it says in Psalm 1. Whose delight is in the Word of the Lord and who meditates on his word day and night, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water. It yields fruit in season. We need a regular rhythm of Bible study and prayer together. So we're supposed to breathe in the Bible, inhale the Bible, and exhale prayers. Sometimes when we pray, it's kind of like this rhythm of what shall I pray? Otherwise we're just crazy. It's good to pray Scripture. It's good to let Scripture come and teach you to pray. Otherwise, like I say, you're just praying for a parking space. A couple of things from Eugene Peterson. Okay, um, Eugene Peterson. Love following him in tweets. It's called Peterson Daily. He's the guy that wrote the message. These are two tweets from last week. Prayer, he says, is the means by which we get everything out in our, in our lives, out into the open before God. And that hearing the silence all of your life gets stretched out before God and you can pick out the bits you want to do with. But also, talking about Bible, he says, the reason why our prayers often are so flat or become stale is because they've been uprooted from the soil of the Word of God. Prayer is nourished and flourished, like those two words, when it's firmly rooted in the creative, redempting Word of the living God. So when you've done place, time, Hear the silence. The third thing is you've got to say something. Now, I, I think the, best, the easiest one is to pray the Lord's Prayer. Let's read this together. I'm into reading things together. This is the Lord's... This is the structure for prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. What does he... He doesn't say this is what you should pray, but how. Interesting. It's not saying you just repeat it. He's saying, this is a good framework. I'm just going to bang through this real quick. Our Father... Read it with me. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me just... I want to start with some of the ones further down the list. 
give me my daily bread, or I'm sorry, Lord, I'm a sinner. But you must resist that temptation and start where prayer begins, start where life is. Our Father in heaven. I mean, there's a whole series on this, isn't there? But you want to dig into that wonderful truth that he's our God in heaven. It says hallowed, that means holy, a name to be praised. Your name is something to be praised. So you've got to start off with God. I have to say, shut up monkeys, shut up worries, I'm going to start with God. Hallowed be your name. I I can even say, God, it's amazing I can come into your presence. But you've made a way in Jesus that even an unholy one like me can come into your presence. Thank you that you're my loving father, that you, that you care for me, that you know all about me, that you, you, whatever, yeah? And you can do that. And then the next thing that comes in this cycle is discipleship permission. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Discipleship means, Lord, I want to obey. I want your kingdom to come in my life. And in, um, in, in and mission, let, you, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So before you start praying, Lord, deal with this, deal with this, you, you're praying, Lord, let your will be done. Lord, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Assisted dying. I don't know if anyone saw that this week. There was a bill. You're looking like, hello, which world do you live in? The, there was a bill about like the assisted suicide. And I prayed with some guys and I'm uh, whatever and I said, let's all pray. And I prayed into it. And, so, and I, I said to this one guy, I've got faith in God, but no faith in Parliament. But my faith in Parliament was, was renewed. 330 to 118 says, no, we're not doing that. We're not just going to kill vulnerable people just because there's a bit of pain. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give us our daily bread. Then you pray about your practical needs. Forgive us our sin. Then you pray about your, your sinfulness. Confess your sins to God and he'll cleanse you. And then it's as you've forgiven those that sin against us. I've changed sin to debt. Sorry, Mr. Cap. Sorry, Andy. Uh, but forgive those, that's about community. For your family and you pray for those that sin against us. Let's pray about community and family. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. That's about praying that your life's going to be single-minded and double-minded. It's a little structure. I hope you define the words. Right, let's finish with this. I thought, I'm struggling how to finish. We want to train ourselves, we want to be effective in prayer so that we know Jesus. And I'm thinking, how can I finish? I always leave my end unfinished and hope that God will speak to me in the Sunday morning. God, what monkey's time. <laughs> and I felt God say, just read him a prayer from Paul. So I went through, looked, looked a few. This is what I think. This is Paul. This is a little window into Paul's place and time and thoughts and words. This is what he's praying about as he's training himself to know Jesus. But he's also, he says, I keep asking, Ephesians 1.17, it's a great prayer. I keep asking, God, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, maybe he's gone through the Lord's Prayer, the glorious Father, yeah, I remember that, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What's he praying? Read it with me. So that you may know him better. This is this one button. You think, Paul, this is your one button issue. We want to know. I want these people that I'm praying for to know them better. My family, my churches, the people around. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you know the hope to which he's called you. What's the hope to which he's called you? Or better still, it's a Sunday school answer. Who? 
Jesus, thank you, Andy. He's the hope he's called me for. My hope is found in nothing else than Jesus, his blood and righteousness. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the mighty strength that exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. Paul's praying. Paul's praying that we'd know Jesus. He's praying that the resurrection power of Jesus that took Jesus out of the grave and sent him into glory is going to do the same for you. It's going to take you out of dead prayerlessness. It's going to take you out of not knowing Jesus. It's going to take you out of double-mindedness. And it's going to catch you up and you're going to find yourself in that heavenly place with your eyes closed and there's no one there and there's no noise. And you say, Jesus, you're the one I want. You're the pearl of great price. I'm running after you. No sloppy living for me because you've captured my heart. You're beautiful in every way, the crucified Saviour. Who is like you? And you just rest there. And in that moment, you sit where Jesus has sat through eternity, in the Trinity, hidden in Him, fellowshipping with the Father. We're going to break bread now. We're coming and we're going to remember that Jesus has made a way, that he's given everything he has. No sloppy living for him. He's gone to the cross so that we can know him. And we're going to come and we're going to eat his life and say, let your life be in me. Let the power that raised Jesus from the dead work in me so that I can press on to know him. Take and eat. This is my body, says Jesus, broken for you. As I said last week, we eat of him, saying there's, there's nothing else that's going to satisfy. He alone is worthy. We take the cup and we, we drink it and say, let your life flow to me again. And as you do that, commit to say, I'm going to find a place. I'm going to find a time. I'm going to press through the crazy moments. I'm going to have some silence and I'm going to find myself. Find myself in the secret place with the ultimate prize of all the ages. Not some gold medal that's gone, but the one whose glory lasts forever. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.